Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Asset Allocation Weekly Report for November 5th, 2021. Can we, with any confidence, look to the performance of financial markets for clues as to when the Federal Reserve will move on interest rates? Here to discuss the market's influence on the Fed is Confluence Investment Management Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady. Bill, I may be wrong, but isn't the Fed supposed to prioritize inflation and employment rather than rescuing the markets as factors in its decision-making? The reason central banks exist is to act as lender of last resort. In other words, financial markets are prone to runs. Banks' primary role is to create a liquidity transformation. They take short-term deposits, for them liabilities, and convert them into long-term assets that we call loans. As long as all the depositors don't ask for their money back immediately, the system is stable. But history shows this only works because of confidence. If confidence is lost, bank runs occur and asset values can plummet. So the central bank was created to lend to sound banks facing a liquidity shortage. Everything else that has been added to that mandate is on top of that lender of last resort role. Insofar as financial stability is important to the three mandates, which are stability, inflation, and employment, the central bank must take that into account. So strictly speaking, the Fed shouldn't change policy based on a weak stock market, but if it affects financial stability, it may be required to take that into account. This is different than setting a price in the equity markets, but it does mean that if conditions get bad enough, the Fed will intervene. Bill, was there a time when market performance began to take on a greater role in terms of influencing consumer spending and grabbing more of the Fed's attention? Well, our research suggests that in 1995, changes in household net worth became strongly correlated with consumption. So before 1995, net worth or assets held, including stocks, were simply not as great an influence as income on spending patterns? That's correct. When I was in graduate school, which was a long time ago, we were taught that wealth effects were so weak that it wasn't necessary to incorporate it into models. And in the mid-1980s, when I was working on my graduate degree, we mostly ignored the wealth effect. I, I don't now. What caused the change? Well, I'm, I'm not really certain, but the strongest candidate is the expansion of home equity loans. Financial assets are concentrated in the top 10% of households, while residential real estate is the largest asset held by the bottom 90% of households. For years, there were restrictions on tapping home equity. As the industry streamlined the process to repeatedly borrow against one's home equity, we started to see equity withdrawals increase. Well, when you talk about assets and net worth, housing is, is certainly part of it. Does the Fed pay less attention to housing prices than the performance of financial markets when it considers interest rates? The Fed probably pays more attention to financial markets in part because there is so much more immediate data to monitor. It does pay attention to residential real estate, but the focus seems to be on preventing excessive leverage and accelerating prices. One could argue that the inclusion of mortgage securities in QE shows that the Fed wants to support lower mortgage rates. However, there is no statistical proof that buying mortgages narrows the spread between mortgages and treasuries. So we haven't found anything to suggest that the Fed eases policy if it's worried about a weakening real estate market. If it wants to cool a hot market, it can use macroprudential policies such as credit guidance. And in fact, that seems to be exactly what's happening now. 
The median credit score for new mortgages from 1999 to 2007 was 720. Since 2009, it averages 767. So the message from regulators does seem to have an effect. Bill, in your study this week, you use the volatility index as a way to measure how market performance may influence the Fed. Why this index and what exactly does it measure? Well, there are three variables that go into the Black-Scholes model of option pricing. The risk-free interest rate, the time remaining in the life of the option, and the value of the underlying asset. Essentially, an option participant has to make an estimate of where the price of the underlying asset will be at expiration of the option. The more variation there is in the price of the underlying asset, the higher the price of the said option. The estimates of variation are volatility. It is measuring the expected variation of the underlying asset. The VIX measures not actual volatility, the variation of the underlying asset, but the implied volatility that option buyers are assigning to that underlying asset. Implied volatility measures the variation option buyers are pricing into that asset. In market parlance, volatility is usually associated with falling prices, but that's not strictly true. Rising price variation should increase in volatility too, but that isn't how it works in practice. Market participants tend to see downside risk as volatility. Another way of thinking about volatility is tied to the nature of options. They are often used to mitigate risk. In other words, they're bought as insurance. So rising volatility suggests that option buyers are worried about future price changes. So when volatility is rising, it tends to signal worries about falling asset values. So is a high volatility index a danger signal, warning of falling asset prices and a possible recession? Well, it is a coincidence signal of falling asset prices. A recession may also occur, but it isn't necessarily causal. Recessions tend to occur for three reasons, an inventory imbalance, a geopolitical event, or a policy error. A geopolitical event or a policy error can trigger an investor to try to build liquidity, and this action will reduce prices and increase volatility. Well, what has the volatility index then revealed about the timing of Federal Reserve interest rate moves since that year you mentioned, 1995? The key number is 20. A reading on the 12-week average of the VIX that exceeds 20 tends to lead the Fed to ease policy. We didn't see that at the turn of the century, but we've been seeing that ever since. And what is the VIX index telling us right now? Well, the VIX has been falling and is now just below 20. It's probably no coincidence that FOMC members are sounding increasingly hawkish. Does this mean that if the stock market stays in what appears at least right now to be, I guess, more or less a holding pattern with the VIX under 20, the Fed is more likely to raise interest rates? It makes rate hikes more likely. But there are other factors the Fed is watching too, and so we will almost certainly see the balance sheet expansion end before any rate changes occur. How long is the Fed likely to wait with an eye on the VIX before it raises interest rates? Well, time tends to vary, but we think they'll wait a bit longer if the VIX remains under 20, but the pressure to raise rates will steadily increase. One could make the argument that the Fed is targeting the stock market. What do you think? This is a really tricky area for the Fed. They don't want to be seen as moving to ease policy every time equities decline because you create a situation of moral hazard and encourage excessive risk-taking. 
At the same time, equity market declines often occur in concert with financial system problems. So the Fed may ease policy to deal with these problems, which acts to support equity prices. Our VIX study suggests that the Fed does watch market volatility, but probably based on the effect it has on financial stability. There is an underlying problem with easing policy in the face of financial instability. It encourages excessive risk-taking. In the past, when the wealth effect was small, the Fed arguably used financial stress as a force multiplier. But since the mid-1990s, there's been a disconnect between the impact of policy changes on financial stress. We don't really know for sure why this occurred, although we have theories that may be due in, in part to increased transparency. With the Fed clearly signaling moves, financial stress is dampened until it is not, and then there is a concern the Fed lacks the tools to reduce stress. But in any case, it does appear that the Fed prefers to suppress financial stress, thus creating a problem incentivizing risky behavior. Bill, finally, how has the Confluence Asset Allocation Committee prepared model portfolios for the anticipated rate hike? We have been shortening duration in fixed income portfolios. We have also tilted equity portfolios toward value and away from growth. The former is a short-duration asset. Value tends to give you earnings now. The latter is a long-duration asset because the promise of growth stocks is higher earnings potential in the future. So skewing to value is a way for preparing for tighter monetary policy. Thank you, Bill. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler. <laughs>